morning, everybody. I want you to grab a Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 7. Um, if you do not have a Bible, you are going to need one. And if you could just raise your hand, we got plenty that we can hand to you for you to keep or borrow. Um, so just hold your hand up, and the guys in the back right now will get you one. Proverbs 7. And then uh, if, you were, if you do have a conduit Bible, and you're not sure where that is, if someone could just yell out the page number. 342. All right. 342. That would be great to get us started. Um, any New York Yankees fans in the room? You don't seem too proud. Any Yan- New York Yankees fans in the room? One? Two? Three? Four? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just am curious, okay? So, so four of you were in the state of New York, and four of you are Yankees fans. This is going to be a long sermon about sex and it's going to be feel really lonely up here if that's the response I'm getting. If you're a Yankees fan, raise your hand. All right, cool. Thank you. Thank you for coming out on that. All right, way to go. That's a, st- that's a start. All right, how many of you like are, would classify yourselves as not Yankees fans? All right, now we're talking. Any St. Louis Cardinals fans? Any St. Louis Sorry, I'm we can still be friends, okay? All right, so, and then how many of you regarding the New York Yankees would say, and not like you dislike them or not that you, like, feel passionately about this, but honestly, you're like, why are we bringing this up? And your response would be like, I, I don't really care about the New York Yankees. Okay, cool. So there's, there's this divide in the room. When, <laughs> when you say something like the New York Yankees or chocolate cake, or Sheboygan, Wisconsin, and, and you use all these things, and like I could say that, we'll, we'll take the New York Yankees, for example. Some of you, the New York Yankees is everything. Some of you, it's nothing. And most of us are one extreme or the other, and maybe some of us are in between, like, yeah, I like the Yankees, and is that the team that that Babe Ruth guy plays for now, or like maybe so completely lost, but yeah, I like the, like somewhere in between, but there's these things that happen when we talk about certain things, where in the room like this, you know how difficult it is to talk about sexual intimacy in a room like this, young and old, married, single, divorced, um, and everything in between, okay? This is a difficult thing. And, and, and even to the point of, okay, I could say New York Yankees, and some of your heart was like, yeah, he's talking about my Yankees. And, and that could be the same in regards to when I say sex or I talk about intimacy, some of you are like, yeah, here we go. I love my church. Some of you actually are cheering that on at the beginning. In fact, I had told our leadership uh, that <laughs> this past week that we were uh, – in a group of people, including with our leadership, a, a group of about, I don't know, 
15 or 20, I told them we were talking about this, and it was like an applause. Like, yeah, this is cool. This is great, finally, because the Bible has a lot to say. God has a lot to say about this particular area. Um, but yet, why don't we ever talk about this? Why is this not talked about in church? Um, and so there's this part of us sometimes that's like, yeah, let's, let's go there. Let's see what the word has to say about that. But then I, if I said the New York Yankees, some of you, um, like myself, get this bitter feeling when you say New York Yankees because I've got a different team that I like. And for one reason or another, I may say something or chocolate cake or what, some other thing and it brings up this, this hurt, this negative connotation. And honestly, in all seriousness, maybe that word sex for you has been mixed with abuse, pain, shame. And so I want to be very gentle in that. Um, did anybody hear that? <laughs> if you see a number pop up on the screen, you know that maybe that's your child and the code that you have, and maybe you need to check on that. <laughs> if I just heard that or what. But, and if you're new, by the way, side note, sorry, I get distracted real easy. If you see a number, a code come on screen, that, look at the code you have if you've checked in your child, and that just means for you to go back and check on your child, who sounds like uh, maybe one of them just got really hurt. So, um, <laughs> so I don't know if you didn't hear that, if you're in a zone. Maybe if you have kids, you heard that. If you didn't hear of kids, you're like, what is he talking about? Um, but when I say those words and I talk about sex, for some of you, maybe this, this it may be a difficult subject. So I understand that, and here's my heart behind it. Where I want to go today, wherever you are on that spectrum, where sex is completely applicable to you right now, or it's not yet applicable, or maybe that ship has sailed, so to speak. Um, my heart is that you would understand... <laughs> Move on, Corey. Move on. <laughs> my, my, <laughs> I got to be careful with my analogies with this subject. <laughs> um, maybe for some of you, it's a difficult thing. And so my heart is that there is something that God wants to restore today. Because God is a God of, of re restoration. There's something that God wants to resurrect. God is a God of resurrection. There's something that God wants to heal today. In the next two weeks, specifically in this area, because believe me, it's going to take a couple weeks, all right? Because there's so much that can be left out and so many things that will be left unsaid. Um, especially when you say that word and you're, you're looking at all kinds of different people from different backgrounds, different stage of life, and different situations. Um, God wants to do something today in this area in your life, but the heart of what we're going at, and every week as we've focused, and this table has been the same table, but every week it looks different, a different color, a different decoration, something different. God is inviting us to intimacy. This is the heart behind sex. This is the gift behind 
sex. This is the idea, whether it's procreation or recreation, God is still the heart of it. He's going after you to experience intimacy. Intimacy that starts in all appropriate ways. Intimacy that starts with a holy God to a sinful man. That starts with God and you and flows to others. And every week we've, we've, we've started with a, or we've had a theme. In the first week, in the second week, and this being the third week, it's all building up and tying together. And the theme of each week is relationship. So when I say the phrases, my people, or your people, I'm referring to your spouse, your friend, your neighbor, your mom, your dad, your friends, your strangers, your enemies, your everyone around you, when I say your people. And so relationship affects every part of you. When I say intimacy, I'm not just referring to intimacy in a married person's bedroom. I'm talking about also the appropriate ways of intimacy through friendship, through coworkers, through church members, through people in your life, the intimacy and exposure that comes from that. So I, got, I feel like I needed to preface a lot of that as we move forward. But week one, the theme was this, if you're taking notes, uh, week one was relationship is the currency for change. Relationship is the currency for change. This was on the heels of the I Am Loved event where we had an opportunity to serve a little over 800 people um, with hot dogs, awesome snow cones, and French fries, half of them. Um, And uh, just kidding. Uh, It was an opportunity for us to love the community, an opportunity for us to show them to begin a relationship with them. We want to change people's lives through the power of God, us being a conduit. It's not our power. It's not our strength. It's God's power through us. That's our heart. That's not going to happen unless there's a relationship. Now, God is absolutely supernatural, we said. We said that God is ultimately sovereign, affecting everyone's life and changing everyone's life in his own way, in his own time. But the formula he's given you and I to act on is relationship. Relationship is the currency for change. You want to change? You want to see change? Build relationship. And again, it's not you doing the change. But you get to be a conduit to bring about that change. Relationship is the currency for change. And this happens through love. That was the theme in week one. Week number two. Relationship is exposure to all the things of death Excuse me. Relationship is exposure to all the elements of death and life. And so last week we talked about this table being kind of like our life or our heart. And it being exposed to the different elements of earth, wind, and fire. And the whole heart behind that was that when we're exposed to the elements of death, it has an absolute effect on our life. And you know and I know, if you've been in any type of relationship, you've been exposed to the elements of death. And you've been exposed to the elements of life. Relationship is a powerful thing. And we use the analogy through my friend in fifth grade that when he leaned in for his first kiss, he, he, he thought it was the moment. And as he leaned in to give the kiss, he ended up kissing her like somewhere under the chin. And because she, at the last minute, was like, whoa, what's happening? And it, he totally, like, the signals were mixed. And as he leaned in, he completely falls on his face. 
That's the risk in, in relationship. That's the risk in love. That's the risk, absolute risk, in leaning in for the kiss, so to speak, in any relationship. But we said that the heart of the gospel was that God already came and he did more than lean in for the kiss. He is pursuing you. He's running after you, not to squash you like a bug, not to force you to kiss him, but he's pursuing you in love. He's pursuing you in hope, and he's saying, let's have relationship. And so relationship is exposure to all the things of death and life, and that when we understand this relationship that's vertical, then the relationships that are horizontal, everything from this will flow to that. Does that make sense? So in review, those are for the first two weeks. This week is, the theme is that relationship is the bridge to intimacy. Relationship is the bridge to intimacy. So when you lean in, and they lean in, and relationship happens, exposed to the elements of death, exposed to the elements of life, take it with the good, take it with the bad, and all they are. There's this moment, whether it's through your spouse, through a coworker, through a friend, through being stuck in an elevator for 73 hours with someone, whatever happens, you get exposed to all that they are, and they get exposed to all that you are, and in that intimacy happens. Exposure brings intimacy. So, in that intimacy, we have the bridge. That bridge from relationship to intimacy, or excuse me, the bridge to intimacy is relationship. Relationship is the bridge to intimacy. And so we're at Proverbs 7. Um, <laughs> the, the, all, the other tagline for this, which we're going to get into this a little bit more next week, is that um, <laughs> when things heat up, everything changes. Um, when things heat up, everything changes in regards to intimacy, in regards to everything. If you've noticed, uh, I'm sure many of you are a lot more busy this week um, in your yard, on your mower, on your weed whack, whatever it is, um, than you were four months ago. When things heat up, everything changes. And it's no different with any element. You're making anything your, 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 like any manufacturing plant, any product that's made, there's heat, there's energy that goes into it. And when things heat up, everything changes. And what happens when we lean in? What happens when we pursue relationship? There's this natural overflow that intimacy happens. So what is the heart behind intimacy? What is the heart behind uh, God's heart? What is he going after in our lives? Um, for some of you, um, whether you're married, single, or, or whatever situation you're in, sex has been either, I've heard this, it's said this way, I'll describe it how I heard it. Sex is either God or Gross. Sex is either God or gross. Now, typically, there's, there seems to be this, like, stigma that comes with that, whether it's, well, for guys, this is the, like, the natural, like, 
And for some, and maybe for some, it's like, what? Don't stop talking about this. Like, move on. Like, maybe that's some of our hearts. And so for some of us, it's that. And some of us, it's for that. And so what happens in our, what has happened in our lives, if we've made sex our God, it's consumed us. It's consumed our chase. It's consumed our, our thoughts. It's consumed our absolute mistakes in our life. It's consumed every part. Like literally an entire life is rerouted because of this. And maybe it's not even you that says, this is my God. But maybe in order to appease someone else, you've said, okay, that can be my God as well. And whether it's through the act of that, it's such an important thing. You've made something that God gave. This was God's idea. This was God's gift. You've made it the thing. Marriages have ended because of this thing. Relationships have been shattered. Homes have been shattered because of this particular thing. It's so important that I'm willing to lay it all down so that this can be my God. Over here, gross. If, like literally, whether it's you grew up, um, <laughs> I gotta be careful. Uh, whether you grew up uh, in more fundamental kind of church or background, um, and like you don't talk about that, you don't address that, chances are you learned about sex from your buddies at school rather than your mom and your dad who should have taught and showed the fact that this is where your heart goes when your body chases it. This is what God's Word says about it. This is God's heart for it. And rather than like knowing about it from uh, your parents or from God's Word, we've learned about it through television or buddies at the lunch table. Um, I don't know if you feel this way, but I, f I find that whoever teaches you the knowledge about something um, tends to be kind of the authority in that situation. For example, if it's the buddies that are talking about it, that are teaching you what it is and what it's not and what it, there tends to be this like authority and influence of what they have to say about it. Or if television or Hollywood has said, hey, this is what sex is. This is what intimacy is. And this is how it goes in any way or any form or anything you can do. When that is how it's taught, then there's all of a sudden this tied authority in this relationship that says, you know what? That must be the authority. And we always look to Scripture for so much authority in our lives. Well, if you, if you looked at the top like Google ratings of what, like what has been Googled, a lot of the things that are put in there, past like the inappropriate stuff, is I've seen that what does God say or what does the Bible say about such and such? And every time we have to go to the authority of Scripture of what it actually says about the thing God made up. What it actually says about the thing that God had gifted it. But for pe some people, it's become this gross thing that you don't talk about. You don't do, and if you do, no one needs to know about it. It's hidden. And so this has led not just people together in a room. This has led men and women by themselves to a room. Completely defiling themselves and their computer and their TV, etc. 
And in that, we've said in our life that it's gross, but yet we become a, a slave to it in private. So I stand here and I, um, my, my, uh, I'm, I'm concerned because this was a beautiful, a beautiful gift that God gave us. And we've made too much of it or too little of it. And then as far as church goes, we've made, um, we've made it this thing where we've used the pulpit to make you feel guilty. We've used the word of God to make them feel like they can't have God's love. Like they're not good enough because of what they did with their body parts or who they're attracted to. And so there's all these mixed emotions of politically, political stances of what this person should believe and what that person should believe, but the heart of it is that this was a gift that God gave a man and woman to experience in a married relationship. It's beautiful. So, Adam and Eve, I always come back to them, I find, but Adam and Eve were made beautiful, um, perfect. In the Garden of Eden, before they sinned, they were completely naked and not ashamed. Like it was normal for them. I mean, completely normal, completely exposed. And for them, it brought this amazing perfection of intimacy. And ultimately, that's what God's heart is in bringing it back to intimacy. It's in that intimate level is when everything is completely exposed and it's okay. I fully know them and they fully know me and there's still love. There's still hope. There's still peace. And in that nakedness, they pursued sin. They pursued and they disobeyed God. What God, the one thing, like the one thing they weren't supposed to do, and they disobeyed God by agreeing with Satan and saying, you know what, it's not that bad. And if I do this thing, and I agree with Satan, and I say, you know what, this will actually, instead of giving me death, this will actually give me life. And when that all happened and the fall came, what was Adam and Eve who were completely naked? What was their first reaction when they realized that they had sinned? Their first reaction was, They wanted to hide. Like, even this, their physical bodies. They wanted to hide because all of a sudden, like, their body didn't necessarily change. Like, Adam didn't necessarily grow a beer gut in the moment. Like, he didn't, like, become insecure about certain things or Eve got a double chin or I don't know what, what it wasn't like all of a sudden because of sin, well, like, all these things. No, their body was the same, but everything changed. I don't know if you've been in a situation where, like, everything is the same, but everything is changed. That's a picture on the other side of the gospel. You're the same person, but you're completely new in Christ. You're a new creation. It's that everything is the same, but that everything has changed. 
So the heart of what God is going after, even in salvation, starting in Genesis 3, when the, when the fall happened and he, he proclaims that there will be a Redeemer that will come fix everything, that's essentially, he, like this is on the heels of Adam and Eve going, ah! He wanted, God wanted for a moment again for us to be comfortable and exposed, not just in our physical nature, not just in certain parts that are hidden, but in every part of all we are and all they are to be completely exposed. And in that nakedness and in that intimacy, there is this beautiful thing that happened in relationship. Relationship between you and I is where whether you see all that I am and all the character I have, and I see all you are and all the character that you have in all the appropriate ways, there's this beautiful thing that happens in relationship. Have you ever been like completely talking to someone or been talking to someone and they've been completely embarrassed because like they've been exposed about something in their life? And then you're like, you're okay with it. Like you're ready to show mercy and be like completely okay with it. And I find myself in that position a lot. And you wish you had the words to say to just tell the person like, I don't think of you any different now. Now that I know that thing, it's okay because God's going to deal with that. And I got my crap too. But guess what? Now we can have a great relationship because in appropriate ways because of what God can do through you and through me. What God is doing in your life and what he's restoring and what he's reviving and what he's resurrecting and what he's bringing to you. He wants to do that in relationship, but it first starts here. There's nothing you can offer others that is completely satisfying and fulfilling outside of Jesus Christ. Your intimacy with him is the heart of sex even. In all the appropriate ways, God gave man and wife, husband and wife, sex. Why? For procreation, for recreation, yeah, yeah, but, but why? Well, so they can experience intimacy and complete trust with one another and complete exposure and complete vulnerability, yes. But ultimately, so that they can experience the intimacy that happens and that God desires between you and him. In all the appropriate ways, this is the bounce-go-wow-wow table. And God is inviting you to know him and to be fully known. I grew up in a Christian school, and I, I made a mistake when I was in high school that brought public humiliation. We were in Bible class, and we were supposed to read certain parts of Genesis, and I read the part that said, um, and Adam knew his wife and brought forth a son. Like, I should have thought this through. I should have thought this through. Adam knew his wife, and then all of a sudden there's these kids... What does it mean? I raised my hand. Like, I literally remember. And it was like, as soon as it came out, it was like, no, 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 no. I said, what does it mean that Adam knew his, like, why does it say he knew his wife? Of course he knew his wife. Like, absolutely knew his wife. But no, like, Corey, what it's really saying is that he knew his wife. Like, he knew, he knew his wife. He knew his wife. Now, I think arguably of all the things in even American culture, 
can say about sex and all the songs that trigger like, okay, when that moment happened, like this, that, all the things that could describe sex and intimacy, there's no better description than actual God's description. That Adam knew his wife. and She knew him. They were completely known. So here's the definition of intimacy. To be fully known. And to fully know. To fully know and to be fully known. That is intimacy. And that, that's where you take it like, okay, I'm single. I'm like, this ain't happening yet. Like, or like, I'm, that ship has sailed. Or like, I'm in, this, I'm in this situation. Like, seriously, I could completely check out. I'm about ready to grab my stuff and leave. I, I want you to understand that wherever you are, even kids, even whatever age you're at, understand that, that past this, like, the buzz words and the, the sex aspect, Look past that because God's going at something deeper. He's not just looking at what happens in the bedroom. He's looking at the heart behind everything that we do. He's looking at the heart behind, and we're going to get there, Proverbs 7, the heart behind even what Solomon's telling his son not to do. What he's warning him against is because there's something deeper that God's going after, and it's your heart. It's the intimate level of relationship that happens and that we get to experience because ultimately going back a few weeks relationship is the currency for change the whole heart it was God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit that wanted you to know what it was like to be them not that so you can be God but that you can experience true unity and true intimacy that God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit has it's a beautiful beautiful thing So whether sex is God or sex is gross, whether your past has been or whether your present, whatever your present is, understand that the heart behind it is intimacy. And intimacy is to be fully known and to fully know. Look at Proverbs 7. I'd like to, I'd like to just take page 342. Is that what it was? I'd like to just take a moment and for you to just read it. Let's just take the next few moments, read in Roman or uh, Proverbs seven.
Solomon says in verse 6, For at the window of my house I have looked through my window, and I have seen among the simple, I look at the young man, he's lacking sense. Verse 8, he's walking down the street near her corner. Who's her? Taking the road to her house. In the twilight of the evening, at the nighttime, in the darkness. This is already, this is how men are made. We're made for the hunt. We're made for the road. We're made to go out and to find and to locate, to go after, to pursue where our heart is pointed, to pursue where our eyes are focused. And that's why Solomon, which Solomon knows a little bit about where sexual impurity outside of marriage can bring a life. In fact, Solomon knows it with his family in the past a little too closely and the destruction that can come through adultery or fornication outside this beautiful realm of marriage that God has created sex to be and intimacy to be. Solomon gets that. Solomon knows that. And here he is. He's warning his son. He's warning his sons. He's warning all of us. But here in this, this analogy, in this parable, so to speak, this man is pursuing something. That's how we're wired. But then it talks about her. What is she doing? Verse 10, And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Her feet do not stay at home. Home is a place metaphorically for security. A home is your refuge. Home is the place where everything can be put in its place and everything can feel all right. A place for nesting, a place for growth, a place for security. This is what the woman is made for. Now, I'm not metaphorically saying men should be out and women should be home. That's not what I'm saying. For metaphor aspect, God's going at the heart or the heart of God in his word that's absolutely perfect inspired. He's saying, this is how I've wired together the man is to be leading, to be running, to be pursuing. And this is how I've wired the woman. I made her to feel secure. I made her to feel safe. I made her to feel confident in all the garden that I've created her and set her in to be. To make the place amazing. To make it fly. To make it flourish. To make it happen. This is his heart for the woman. And so you see, even the beginning of like, danger, danger. I don't like where this movie is going. I don't like what's happening. Understand, first of all, and understand your own heart. See, you're looking at your past, and you're looking at what you chased after. You're looking at what you did. I want you to step outside of that for a moment. I want you to see, why? Why did you do that? What was it that you were seeking after? And most likely, if you're a dude, this is how God's wired you. He wired you actually to pursue, to catch, to get. Like, that's how he's wired us. Even, even our bodies, and even the parts of our bodies that we're focusing on today, God has intricately wired every part of it to your nervous system, 
to your body so that you feel a certain way that, that's not like manufactured by man. To like, oh, I hope this happens. Let's rewire this. No, this is how God's made us. Women the same. Wired you in a way to feel a certain way, even physically, in certain places, so that if you felt secure, you felt safe, you felt taken care of, you felt confident, you felt complete intimacy because you've been in that exposure. That's how we're wired. And so for this man, he's doing at the beginning, not the action, but his heart is going out how he is made to be wired. And she, her heart is to feel secure, but it says here, She's not staying at home. Home is not good enough. Home is not the place for her to feel a refuge. And so she's trying to look for love in all the wrong places. When she meets him, verse 13, she seizes him and kisses him. With a bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I can come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens from the Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon, which kind of weird just saying um. <laughs> but she's making it loud is my uncomfortable <laughs> um, she's making it loud and clear she has pursued him and I will fill not just your need and the, the thing that you're pursuing and you're running after but I will fill my thing even in the bed that was met for my husband who's far off and he'll be back but he won't be back tonight. And she seizes him. And she grabs him. And this is Solomon warning his son, like, look what you're doing. See what you're pursuing. And he's not yelling at his son to say, hey, don't have sex. Don't have intimacy. It's all bad. Like, you feel that way? That's jacked up, man. Like, don't run from that. No, 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 no. The heart of what he's getting at. He's like, you will spoil your dinner. God has prepared a table for you called intimacy. He's prepared a place for you and a, a woman for you in the bounds of marriage. And in that bounds, it say bounds, but it's no bounds. There's no bounds. Like it's all amazing. And God's prepared that table for you to have a, not just so you can feel good in your body, not that you can feel good in your emotion, but that you can feel completely satisfied and complete understanding the picture of what God wants to do with you. To complete for a man to know that their pursuit is God and that God is already pursuing us. And as we run after him, men, we, he, we realize that he's already running after us. We realize that he's already pursuing us. And women, when you feel that security and you feel that safety and you try to find it in this or that or that man who will never bring that to you, even your feeble, weak flesh of a husband, will not truly fulfill that need, but sex, even in the climax, even in the end, and even when it's all said and done, is to give you a picture that God is ultimately the most satisfying. He is ultimately the most exposed to you. He knows everything about you. He knows everything that you are because He made you.
And in that beautiful moment, in that confidence and security, ladies, this is, God wants you exposed so that you can know him and he can fully know you. But what we've done is we've made these places in our heart because of our actions or our thoughts. And what we do and no one's around, we've made these rooms. Yeah, you can go anywhere, but not this room. This room's for me and my guilt. This room's for me and my fleshly compartmentalized desires. She's wily at heart. She's loud because she wants it so bad. Like literally, she wants it so bad in that moment that she's able to seize it from a complete stranger. And he wants it so bad that he's willing to walk the streets to find it. No regard for wisdom. And yet this is coming out of the mouth, Holy Spirit through the mouth of Solomon, who's ultimately written a book about wisdom. And he's warning his son. He's not saying, hey, don't have sex. He's just trying to explain to him that there's a deeper aspect to sex that will be spoiled outside of something that God has given it for. It's not used for that purpose. I use this, this example that um, when, everything, when everything heats up, everything changes. Um, you may have mowed your grass this week. It feels good to be on that mower and like, grass is long, weeds are growing, all the white little flowers are yellow flowers, and now they're gone. Like, yeah, there's this sense of accomplishment. It's fun to do that. How ridiculous would it be if mid-January you drove by my house and saw me out there, like, trying to mow the snow? Like, would the mower work? Absolutely. For, for a while, right? Um, but you'd be like, what are you doing? That's not what is happening. And that's kind of the idea that God has made our bodies to fly and flourish in the, the amazing, beautiful relationship of marriage. And yeah, can you have sex outside of marriage? Absolutely. But there's this part of it, not that, that God's ready to smash you with a hammer, but he's kind of like, what? Like, that's not... Like, how will you feel the next morning? How will that affect your countenance. Verse 18, she says, Come let us fill our love till morning. Yeah. Think about that. Let us fill our love till the morning. And when joy is supposed to come in the morning, guilt comes. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He's gone away. He took a bag of money. He won't be back till the full moon. With much seductive speech, she persuades him with her smooth talk and compels him. All at once he follows her. He follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, 
as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Verse 25, Son, let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has been laid low, and all her slain is mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Solomon is trying to warn his son through experience. Don't go there. Don't spoil your dinner. Because God has prepared a table for you. And yes, when you make a mistake, and yes, when you've fallen, when He wants to, even in this moment, when He wants to restore you, He wants to resurrect you. You've been there. You've done that. Join the club. But we don't celebrate in our sin. We don't celebrate in our mistakes of how we've grabbed the fruit and disobeyed God. But we do rejoice in the fact that He has sent a Redeemer. His name is Jesus. And He wants to forgive you. He wants to take that sin. He wants to take that thing that you've done that you've said, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to make it my own way. And I'm going to run after that. And I'm going to seek that. He wants to take that very thing, people. Listen, and He wants to forgive you. Right? He wants to set you free. He wants to give you purity. Not just secondary virginity or secondary purity. He wants to give you actual holiness as if you've never sinned. That it lasts for eternity. It's past, present, and it's even future through the faith in Jesus Christ, His Son. He wants to resurrect in your life what sex has brought to kill, steal, and destroy. It is the beautiful thing that He has gifted. But I know because of the broken world and the broken sin and the, the things that we seek, the things that we pursue, we've made a mess of things. And God's come to not just clean it, but to restore us and free us, even from the guilt that comes from it. Men, listen to me for a second. And women, I guess, at the same time. Pornography has ruined our culture. This is a $10 billion business in revenues every year. Half of that comes from the United States. It's so easy for, especially in a conversation with some guys recently, like the idea of in a normal person's life when, or man's life when you go after woman or woman or woman or woman and they say no, 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 a screen will always say yes, yes, yes. And because of that access, our young men, our, older, our men, our people are literally given to something that's not, like your screen is not going to explode or catch on fire. But the heart of it is that God is saying, your intimacy is robbed. In conversation with a person that I dearly love, we talked about how when sexual sin, when we fall into sexual sin, it's possible that our complete countenance is changed. How can we have the joy of the Lord as our strength while pursuing something that 
God does not approve. But when we submit to him, which is absolute freedom, chains are hitting the ground, and he set us free to know him and to be fully known. Relationship is the bridge to intimacy. Relationship is the bridge to be fully known and for God to fully know you. But I guess here's my point, is that this can't happen. Intimacy with one another. Intimacy in all the appropriate ways of your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors and your strangers and everything. It can't happen if it doesn't happen here. That's the heart of what Solomon was going after. He wasn't, notice, he, he's, he's using even the analogy of an ox going to the slaughter. An animal in the scope right before it's shot and killed is in that moment. And he's not saying it on the account of, hey bud, don't want you to get any sexually transmitted diseases, so I just want to make sure that you don't pursue, no! No! He's going after, like, you run after this, your heart will run after that. And all of a sudden, the intimacy that happens here can be non-existent because now you can't run at that and run at God at the same time. Either you're running at that or you're running at God. And when we run at God, we understand that he's already run to us. He's already embraced us. The greatest example of intimacy in the word is the prodigal son. When the son comes home covered in pig poo and completely had disrespected and dishonored his father, no room for any forgiveness, no room for any hope that he deserved. In fact, he prepared his speech to tell his dad, I am not worthy to even call your son anymore. But his father, it says that he ran after him and he embraced him. And then he took it a step further. It says he kissed him. And then he took it a step further and he said, let's throw a party. Here's the ring to honor you. Here's the shoes for your feet. You are no longer going to walk in that. Here's a robe that you'll be wrapped in my royalty. And you know what? We're going to throw a party. Kill the fatted calf. Party's about to happen. Why? Because he wants intimacy with his son. He sat on the porch every day rocking back and forth, not thinking, I can't wait to get my hands on that boy. No, he sat there missing his son. God's not wanting to smack you over the head. God's not wanting to, to literally crucify you because he's already done that through Jesus Christ. The wrath has been paid. Your punishment has been paid. All that you've done, all that you do, and all that you will do. Guys, listen. It's done. It's finished. When he says it's finished, like there's no more punishment to be had. He gets that out of the way, not so that you can take it lightly and license your life to live however the heck you want to. He does that to free it up, to get it out of the way so that Jesus can come and he can have intimacy with you, so that he can grab you and he can hold you and he can wrap himself in his righteousness. He can declare you completely free, completely forgiven, completely renovated, completely resurrected, completely forgiven because of what he's done. And so my invitation to you, when was the last time, if ever, you've come and you've said, Jesus, I want to be fully known. And I want to fully know you. I want intimacy, God. I want it so bad. And I'm doing it in all these other ways, but I'm submitting today, God, I want intimacy I want to be fully known. I want to know fully. We call this salvation. We call this being saved. 
We call this asking Jesus in your heart. We call this receiving Christ and confessing with your mouth that he is king, that he is Lord. By that, you're saying, God, I submit to you. I want to be saved, and I want to fully know you, God, and I want you to fully know me. And even knowing God as an understatement, like you'd take your whole life to search that treasure and yet always being satisfied. But here's the thing. So many of us just can't stop to do it. We're running with schedules. We're running with overwhelmingness, and this is on the biggest culprit of it. When you run and you run and you run and you run and you're behind and you're late and you're behind and you start it over and you run and you run and you run, you're overwhelmed. Anybody feel that way? God's, he sent his son to die for you. Not so that you can live your American dream. Not that you can just raise kids and have a great marriage. Not that you can provide for your family and a great roof over your head. What he's really after is intimacy with you. He wants to know you. But you got to stop open every door and let him know you. Don't be scared because he already knows you anyways. And he still loves you. And while we are still sinners, he died for us. He knows you by name and he wants to know you more. And he wants you to know him more. He's inviting you today to the table. And so maybe for you, today is the first time God is inviting you to sit. God is inviting you to long for him. So as you stand and as the band comes, you, if you're here and you're like, whoa, I did not realize that we were going this direction. Can I just challenge you? Can you invite God to come into your life by faith, through Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would know Him. And that you would experience intimacy. Relationship. It's that bridge that takes us to intimacy. He's leaned forward. Would you receive Him? Maybe for some of you, the invitation today is to simply come forward or stay and just long for him. And you're like, man, I don't have that longing. I don't have that desire. I don't, I'm not running after God like I should. I want to challenge you. Ask him for that. Ask God today for an appetite, a hunger for who he is, a hunger for his word and the power that he brings. Ask him. He, won't, he will answer that prayer. He will give you that heart. He will give you that life that pursues him. And then when you give him your heart, everything flows from that. Because when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you understand what it means to love others. Because it's come here, it can now come here. So maybe for you, it's an invitation to God to every room in your life. Maybe it's an invitation to God to say, God, forgive me for what happened. God, I know I've asked this a hundred times, but literally I'm letting it go. I'm leaving it here. And I'm walking away in freedom and hope and forgiveness and healing. Ask Him. Ask Him. And we're here to help you.